electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, big tech is big. Congress is concerned, but the pandemic proves we all need to connect. Legendary tech investor, one of Apple's first, Alan Patrikoff. Every second, they are building up more information, more control, and it, it, they are inevitably have to take over more and more of the world. A debate about stimulus and fairness with John Hope Bryant. Dr. King did not say, I have a dream that GDP will grow by 2% a year. And Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary. Stop funding losers. That's my whole point. No more money on just some random arbitrary basis that doesn't have to be paid back. And Shake Shack CEO on continuing to serve burgers and shakes and concretes and Chicago dogs during the COVID crisis. No matter what we look like in the future, as we do gather again in the best shacks we've ever had, and as we look for more convenience in our life, Shake Shack's gonna do that. It's Friday, July 31st, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Wilfred Frost. First up on today's podcast, the tech titans. Just 24 hours after the CEOs of Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook testified in a congressional antitrust hearing, all four giants reported financial results for the second quarter of 2020. And because the coronavirus pandemic is only reinforcing what we already know about our reliance on technology, each beat Wall Street's expectations by a lot. Tim Cook, Jeff Bezos, Sundar Pichai, and Mark Zuckerberg were grilled by Congress in a six-hour hearing about their size and market share. I encourage you to check out yesterday's Squawk Pod for the highlights of the hearing and some analysis. Many answers the CEOs gave Wednesday about privacy, competition, and bias didn't satisfy the House subcommittee. But these results are sure to satisfy shareholders. Here's Andrew. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet all beating the street on the top and bottom lines. want to start with Apple. The big headline there, the company announcing a four-for-one stock split. Everyone who currently owns the stock, they're going to get three more shares after the market closes. On August 24th, the stock will begin trading on a split-adjusted basis on August 31st. It's not the first time, though, we should tell you that uh, Apple's enacted a stock split like this. The last one came back in 2014. It helped the case uh, for adding it back then to the Dow. Now, yesterday, Apple said it's, in its most recent move, it was an attempt to make the stock more accessible to a broader base of investors. There's been lots of debate over the years about stock splits and whether they, they do make it more accessible, but whether it actually makes a company more valuable. Uh, there's uh, research on both sides uh, of that, uh, that debate. Meantime, as for the business itself, in the last quarter, Apple reported growth in China driven by strong iPad and services uh, revenue, guys. And so mm. you're really looking at, I mean, all, and the question to me is, are these companies, to any degree, barometers of the larger economy uh, and what it says about consumers globally? Or do we really think that these are just anomalous, special 
characters. Well, I think that the standout one, as you're you know, pointing to there, is Apple, because clearly it, it's selling consumer products it's, uh, it, and expensive consumer products. And uh, as you're saying as well, we got it on the day that we got worsening jobs data in the morning. We got the GDP print for the quarter. We got the GDP prints for all of Europe today, and the global numbers for Apple were pretty strong. So it does definitely point to that uh, very bipolar uh, economy that we're experiencing at the moment. But the fact that their iPhone sales beat significantly on a quarter uh, that had so many hurdles in it is really impressive. Let's talk a little bit about Facebook and what it had to say last night as well. Earnings and revenue both topping estimates for that company and Facebook is also forecasting growth in ad sales despite that boycott by some key advertisers and cutbacks induced by the pandemic. Probably worth pointing out that the boycott, um, the ad boycott, was not reflected in these numbers. This was the second quarter. The ad boycott didn't begin until the current quarter. And so we won't see exactly how that plays out until they report next quarter. Yeah, and, and, but the comments, of course, on the call weren't too uh, depressing on that front for the, for the earnings. Uh, no. Wrong word there, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, clearly the, the stock didn't really uh, shake in after hours trade. And, and the year-over-year -year user growth numbers are just uh, amazing for a company of, of that size, uh, up 5.8%. Uh, for Facebook, Amazon, also a massive winner. Earnings are uh, blowing past expectations. Uh, came in, coming in at $10.30 a share. The forecast, $146. It was a big revenue beat, but a massive bottom line beat. Uh, the uh, $5.2 billion profit was the largest in its 26-year history. Results were, of course, helped by a surge in e-commerce amid the COVID pandemic. I don't know why and, this was uh, such a big way, surprise to see a huge beat like that. I've, I've bought everything that we've purchased in this house just about over you know, the last few months. Well, Amazon's always my first stop. I go to Walmart and I go to Target, too, but it's so easy on Amazon because of Amazon Prime and the setup I have there that everything gets a first look there. So I wonder why it was that big of a surprise to the street. Because it was one of the very few companies that didn't see its earnings and revenue estimates lowered in the last few months. It really did right. have a tough setup. Right. It had a yeah. tough setup in terms of what people expected on the revenue and had a tough setup in terms of what the share prices have done. Yeah. Uh, both in the short term and the long term, and it smashed it. Uh, I mean, you could say, and we're going to talk about Alphabet in a moment, that the AWS revenue number wasn't as impressive. It was right. basically just in line. I yeah. mean, if, if you had one, if you're picking for the holes, negative takeaway is that uh, the cloud numbers for Microsoft a couple of weeks ago, Alphabet, which we're about to come to, right. and AWS were all only in line, given a theme that everyone's talking about going to the cloud, and that really speaks right. to, to growing competition in that area. Uh, but uh, you, you could also just about say that about Apple's services revenue, a smaller beat uh, than its hardware sales number. So again, right. that, that part well, of the business that I, everyone I, talks about as, as being the most profitable and therefore warrants the high multiples but, was but, kind well, of I was line. Say, but that's really trying to pick a hole from the, amazing sets of numbers. The resilient, but I was going to say on the AWS piece of this, and I think you're seeing it on all the cloud pieces, and this goes to what, whether we think these companies are bellwethers or uh, you can extrapolate anything about the economy. What does it say about small businesses and your ability to actually get these, uh, get either small businesses to stay with you or to spend more? And I think that's maybe a little bit what you're seeing there. By the way, just on the uh, on the uh, Amazon larger note, if you remember last quarter, Jeff Bezos came out and said we're going to spend four billion dollars on, on COVID money. testing yeah. and the like for for the employees. And if you remember, there were some investors who seemed almost frustrated with the fact that he planned to do that. And then you look at a quarter later, and he's, and he's doing $5.5 billion. Well, so I, 
I just Not thought it was mention, worth if mentioning. If you don't do because stuff like that, and then you're getting called before Congress, and, and you know you have blockbuster numbers like this, and you're not doing spending on that, and raising wages for some of these people, making sure that you are spending on testing on those things, then you are really going to get like, raked over the coals. But, but it was their cost control, despite those numbers, it was their cost control right. that allowed mm -hmm. that extraordinary bottom line beat. And now, uh, it doesn't really lower their PE multiple yet, but it, it is a significant move in the right direction. No one really cares so much about the profitability right. this quarter versus that extraordinary top line growth. Uh, they right. would have been able to write off exactly. a miss on the bottom line, but they actually had a massive uh, beat on the bottom line as, as well. So pr pretty extraordinary. And, and, and again, both in Apple and in Amazon, globally uh, impressive. It's not just a, a U.S. beat in terms of where they're seeing strength. And, and Andrew comes back to your point about this totally bifurcated economy on, on the morning we get. Uh, you know, Spanish GDP down 18.5% uh, for the second quarter. And uh, again, just that very two tier, tier sets of economy around the world, which is, which is a depressing thought, frankly. Um, finally, let's talk about Alphabet. This was a little bit more of a mixed situation. And again, what's so interesting about an Alphabet and also a Facebook and all of them, but, but those two in particular, when I keep saying how much can you extrapolate out, you know, you do still have to be, you still, all of these are, a lot of these are advertising businesses, and so you have to have companies actually want to pay to be on these things. Anyway, top and bottom line numbers, topping estimates, despite reporting the first ever quarterly, now revenue drop in the 16-year history of this uh, company as a public company, but the company did tell investors that Google ad sales have recovered from that March coronavirus-induced slump. The other thing I just mentioned on the Google point, again, not trying to pick holes in, in an amazing night of, uh, of earnings, is that you've got flat year-on-year -year, uh, revenue growth, slight fall for the first time ever, as, as we've mentioned, still on 35 times price-to-earnings uh, ratio multiple for, for, for that company. I mean, it's actually the kind of the cheapest of those uh, big tech this companies. It's the cheapest of the cheap. But, but, mm -hmm. but, but you're paying 30-plus PE multiple for something that's not growing. Now, maybe it's going to start growing again, and it'll go back to its long-standing 20% top-line growth. But uh, it, it is worth just reminding ourselves of those valuation multiples. The other thing I just wanted to go back to is that Apple... Uh, stock split because uh, clearly it, it means nothing for the overall market value of, of, of Apple and it, it will remain to be seen if it really makes a difference in terms of its shareholding given that over the last year we've seen all of the brokers transform what they offer uh, retail investors by free trading and also uh, stock splits and they can buy portions of shares so these shares were already right. accessible as opposed to being totally inaccessible maybe this will make them slightly more uh, accessible going forward but it is a reminder as well of how stupid a price-weighted index is, which of course the Dow is, this is going to lower Apple from being comfortably well, the biggest weighted stock to obviously a quarter of that level. I and like, it's just interesting implication for the likes of Goldman Sachs and J&J. I love the way you say stupid. Stupid. <laughs> well, it is. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and so, but the interesting... No, you're stupid. That sounds better. Stupid. It's, it's stupid. But, but the point Thank being you. is, the likes of Johnson & Johnson <laughs> and Goldman Sachs might, might now see a little benefit at the margin is their weightings in an index that people do track, despite right. how it's put together, uh, are going to be at the top of it, which is, which again, is quite interesting that Goldman has a higher, from my perspective as, a, as the bank's reporter, has a higher weighting in the Dow, despite being comfortably smaller than JP Morgan, which is also in the Dow in terms of market capitalization, yeah. just because of its price. Uh, fascinating. We're going to talk about uh, some of these four horsemen and start with uh, maybe Apple, because uh, our next guest was an early investor in Apple, one of the earliest, actually. Alan Patrikoff, chairperson and co-founder of Primetime Partners and chairperson emeritus of uh, co-founder of Graycroft. His new investment fund, Primetime Partners, backing tech platforms and products for the aging population. I want to get your sense. We've looked now at these, the top four tech companies. They just keep blowing past 
anybody's expectations, uh, even during this uh, COVID pandemic, and in fact have become the, the ultimate beneficiaries of it all. My question to you as an investor, though, is you look three to five years out, are they still the four horsemen? Uh, Andrew, we talked about this almost a year ago, uh, the specific sub subject when David Cicilline started his uh, investigation. I think it's inevitable that there's going to be more uh, uh, deep observation of all these companies and everybody's going to face up to the fact that they are basically utilities. You can survive today really without Facebook. You can't survive without Google. You know, Google represents, what, 90% of the search? Just think about that. No matter what you do, if you're sitting there, you want to find some information, you have to go to Google. Sure, uh, Bing gets a certain amount of search traffic, but we anything that people are so dependent on is something that becomes a utility, a public utility, which means something has to be done to make sure that a public utility doesn't take advantage of the of the public in one way or another. And I, to me, it's inevitable there's going to be some regulation. I think it's unfortunate for all of them that their earnings came out uh, right at the cusp of these hearings uh, because it certainly doesn't help their case. And I don't think their performance yesterday particularly helped their case. Uh, and you, they're all put together, but they different have different factors that are affecting them. Uh, Apple in particular is a toll booth. And, you know, you can't have an app without going through the home booth and pay that 30 percent. I mean, you know, no no exclusions, uh, whereas Google and Facebook and uh, Amazon have a different characteristic. But Amazon, look, right. at, look at the amount of searches that took place uh, for purchases on, on Amazon during this period because they're the only place to go. So I, I, Alan, those... no, let's just let's let's break Alan. Let's break down each one and let's go to your first, your very first one of your first investments, which was Apple and, and, and one of the great success stories of, of all time. Um, lots of people obviously buying computers right now, buying technology, especially if, if we're going to be virtual for uh, another who knows how long. And we can we can only hope it's shorter than longer. But people are investing in technology. But to the issue that you're speaking about in terms of it being a toll booth, you know, whether you think that the government ultimately is going to undo that and what the implication of that is. I could make the other side of the argument, which is to say that, you know, if you're going to sell a product on somebody else's shelf in any kind of uh, store, there is some kind of fee that is paid typically to the retailer. And in this case, Apple is the retailer. Yeah, but Andrew, the, uh, you're looking at one side of it. The other side of it is where else do they go to sell it? So we have now, people are put in a position where they have only one place really to go to sell it, to sell their merchandise. It's the same, same as the idea of Well, Amazon. because they've chosen to sell it on that platform, right? Well, they've, uh, they've, chosen to, they've chosen to create an app that lives in an app store. So they've chosen to build a product to be sold through a particular <laughs> entity. They could sell the app as an Android app. They could sell it as a web-only app. They could do, you know, there's, there's other opportunities, unless you're saying that you think that Apple has a monopoly, which is a hard uh, argument to make, given that their market share globally and even in the United States would not represent a, a monopoly. Well, you've got to separate. Android has a bigger share of the market in, outside of the United States. But in the United States, certainly Apple has the 
by far the greatest share of, uh, of the traffic. And I don't think anyone would start something now that they didn't think they could sell through Apple. Uh, listen, this argument is, is not clear one side or the other, but in my opinion, if I were one of these tech companies that we've talked about, I would be thinking about, if you can't lick them, join them. I would be helping to figure out what type of regulations are reasonable. Uh, I don't think any of these companies have CEOs that are devious. I don't think any of them set out and ever dreamed they would have this kind of control of the markets they're in. Uh, but the fact is we're here today and every minute of the day, every second, they are building up more information, more control, and it, it, they are inevitably have to take over more and more of the world in, in each of their categories. Alan, uh, it's great to see you. Next on Squawk Pod, Operation Hope founder John Hope Bryant says not renewing the expiring stimulus benefits, it leaves too many behind. We are blaming Americans for something that they did not do. Americans did not create a pandemic. They did exactly what we asked them to do, Becky. And we're not doing our part. And Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary says, beware of the zombies. All the losers have to die. It's like watching a zombie movie where, you know, two childhood friends are fighting off zombies. One gets bitten. There's that moment when they realize the end is near. One friend chops the other's head off because it's the right thing to do. It's not murder, it's mercy. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Longtime listeners of this podcast, of which I hope there are many, will remember that we used to include the voices of our Squawk Box control room team. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. To bring you behind the sounds, so to speak, of our three-hour morning show. PCR 2. We've gotten a little quieter during the coronavirus pandemic. As I come to you from my closet, and many members of our team contend with the challenges, mostly tech-related, some emotional, of working remotely. Those challenges were front and center in today's conversation with Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary and Operation Hope's John Hope Bryant. The topic was another frustration. Lawmakers have failed to come to an agreement to extend federal jobless benefits, those extra aid payments of $600 a week, set to expire today. Will we get another round of stimulus? Becky Quick gets Becky through it, by. along with Andrew Ross Sorkin Three, and Wilford two, Frost. One, cure, please. Let's bring in Operation Hope Chairman and CEO John Hope Bryant. Um, John, it's great to see you this morning. Honored to be with you, Ben. It's really tough to get any sort of cohesion at this point. There's divisions between uh, the Republicans and their own parties. Uh, there's definitely divisions between the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, the administration and the Democrats, and, and kind of trying to figure all this out. But at the same time, we are looking at the unemployment benefits expiring and, and people probably getting a, a rude awakening from what they've gotten used to over the last several months. What, what do you think needs to happen? What can happen, uh, both when it comes to uh, the state level and the federal level. What have you been working on? Uh, well, of course, as you know, I'm working on uh, the new Marshall Plan. We've gotten a state to, to agree to adopt it. We've gotten a bunch of companies uh, that are passionate about it that have agreed to adopt pieces and lanes of it. Um, and I'm very encouraged about where that's going. But that's a long-term 
that's the long-term vision, a part of a long-term vision that I believe we need. The Bible says where well, there is no vision that people perish. Uh, and Dr. King did not say, I have a dream that, G- that GDP will grow by 2% a year. We gotta stop, we gotta get out of this little uh, tunnel and, and, and rise up to a level where our solution is as large or larger than our problem that we face. And right now, um, uh, we, we are blaming uh, Americans for something that they did not do. Americans did not create a pandemic. Uh, Americans went to work, they paid their taxes, they worked really hard, uh, they weren't lazy, they didn't ask for unemployment, uh, small businesses didn't ask not to have customers. They, they did exactly what we asked them to do, Becky. Uh, and we're not doing our part. And we're sort of rearranging the deck chairs and the Titanic here. The ship is sinking and we're sort of picking drapes. <laughs> and we have got to remember that the second part of this economy, beyond the investor class that largely watched this show, one of the most important shows in the world, I might add, uh, is there's an, a consumer economy, Becky. And that's 70% plus of our economy. Uh, and they need confidence mm-hmm. and they need to know this batting to them. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, the chairman of, at O'Shares ETFs, Shark Tank co-host, and of course a CNBC contributor is also with us. And Kevin, I hope you heard what, what John had to say. Obviously something needs to be done, but there's not the appetite I think that there was for spending to the extent that we have been to this point. What, Kevin, what do you think happens next and how, how do we handle this? Oops, looks like we lost Kevin. John, let me ask you that, though. There, there's not the appetite for this that there had been before. How do we find some sort of a compromise? What, what do you think that compromise looks like? Well, I mean, easy math says if you, if you can't get to 600, uh, 200 is not the number, then you split the middle. But what you don't do is tell America no right now. America needs a yes because they did, again, all the right things. Again, this is not a crisis where we blew it or capitalism blew it. This is a, a war. We're at war. Uh, we need extraordinary measures. The question becomes, though, how, how long do we continue to spend this amount of money and how do we eventually pay for it? There, there are a number of Republican senators who have said we can't keep running up the deficit to this limit. I, I think you're right that something absolutely has to be done. But I also wonder if there's a better way to do it in, instead of just saying here's an extra 200 or 400 dollars or whatever it might work out to be. And I, I think a state like Rhode, Rhode Island might be an example. I know you're familiar with what they've been working on there. I think you've been working with the governor on a plan to try and reach train people so that make sure that they can come back to the jobs that, that do exist after this pandemic. Yes, if I was doing a, a CARE Act uh, uh, refinement, uh, and I, by the way, I commend Republicans and Democrats for the first stimulus package. It was very smartly done. We just, just screwed up. We just screwed up on the, the health care uh, management piece. That's why we're still in this sort of ready, fire, aim moment. Gina Raimondo, the governor of Rhode Island, has got a really novel model, I think, for the nation. Uh, and uh, Rhode Island back to work. And she has combined stimulus money with uh, wraparound uh, jobs retraining package. We're one of her partners with financial coaching, financial literacy, giving people the resiliency that they need, making sure that, they, that, that they're working for their money, that money is working for them. And they feel their government has a, a vision for the future. We're also gonna be working with small businesses there, uh, also uh, uh, giving them the coaching that they need, because as we talked about here before, Becky, 96% of all black businesses don't even have an employee. Uh, so uh, it's hard for them to do the business and the busyness at the same time. They need help with the business management, the books and records. Again, they are not lazy either, but they need some support. So the pack, and she's got major companies that have agreed to hire on the back end. So you're not, you're not fishing in the empty lake. And that gives everybody the confidence that they need 
to move forward. Keep in mind that half of Rhode Island's, the majority of Rhode Island's population is hourly workers. So this is a great model for other states. Hmm. Hey, Kevin O'Leary, I'm told you're good. Is that true? Can you hear this? I can. Ah, I can. you're here. Excellent. Do you hear all that? What do you think? I don't agree. I don't want to fund any more companies because what I've learned over the last six months is that we probably wasted 20% of the first PPP packages by giving them to companies that are not going to be relevant in the new digital economy. And we can't decide that. Politicians can't decide it. The Fed can't decide it. The market has to do that. So I agree if you want to give employees that are being caught up in the transition to a new economy that I call America 2.0, that's fine. But no more money to businesses. It's unnecessary. The market is awash with capital that's willing to go through the bankruptcy process because some companies are dead. They just don't know it yet. Because let's face it, the, the propensity to purchase things and the distribution channels are changing, as you've seen evident by all of the explosion in technology that's made remote working and, of course, all kinds of products being delivered directly to customers. Should a restaurant be funded when it's going to zero because nobody wants to go there? No. Should a movie chain be kept afloat by the federal government, my taxes, when nobody wants to go to movies, even if there is no pandemic, they want their digital content streamed to them? Let it go bankrupt and let the market repurpose those assets. We are actually breeding inefficiency and mediocrity into our economy by funding all of these companies that don't deserve to live. That is the nature of how our economy works, and you're not letting it happen. If I want to bid on single-C credits in the energy space right now, I'm bidding against the Fed. It's keeping them afloat when it should be going bankrupt, and I can't put my capital to work. I would argue that private capital is far more efficient at actually taking the patina off those sectors of the economy that are going through the transitions. <laughs> Stop funding losers. That's my whole point. If you want to help employees that are getting caught up, I get it. But no more money to small businesses, no more money on just some random arbitrary basis that doesn't have to be paid back. It's not the government's money, it's my money. I'm a taxpayer. Let the private investor handle this. We are killing our economy. We are, we are doing, we're going to turn our economy into Japan. Zombie companies propped up by governments that don't really have a reason to exist. But Kevin, therefore, um, I, I think I'm right in saying, but you would support extending unemployment benefits, uh, the boost to unemployment benefit, benefits of $600 a week, uh, at least in the meantime then, on the flip side. I would suggest 400 a week. 400 a week? There's consensus around the table then. You both said $400 a week would be okay. I'm okay with that, but I do not want to see another nickel put into small businesses or any businesses. We are ready now to take over that process. There is so much capital waiting to go to work competing with taxpayers' dollars coming from the Fed. That's crazy. It's got to stop. And at the end of the day, you're going to see how efficient this economy is once it's gone through the transition. It'll be fantastic. But we've got to scrape the patina. All the losers have to die. It's like watching a zombie movie where, you know, two childhood friends are fighting off zombies. One gets bitten. There's that moment when they realize the end is near. One friend chops the other's head off because it's the right thing to do. It's not murder. It's mercy. And that's my whole point. You've got to let these companies die. Yeah, my mother raised me a good manner so I don't interrupt people. But um, he's just wrong. Uh, and I respect him. I admire him. He does a great job on Shark Tank. He, I'm sure he's a great entrepreneur. But there was a time when he was a loser. Uh, and, and somebody backed him. Sam Walton was considered a loser. 
uh, with a pickup truck in the storefront of high school education. He's the largest retailer in the world. J Jim Casey would, was a loser. That's, a, that's UPS today. I mean, this is ridiculous. We, the, the, the small businesses did not ask for this problem. They're not lazy. They did nothing wrong. They're working really hard. An average small business has about 20 bucks of cash, but they'll run out. We, on the back end of this, we do have a comeback. It's called a Marshall Plan that will surge our economy, but we've got to get there. We got to get through 2020, and we got to help bridge people to get there, and then we let the market take over. We will redo this conversation another time soon. John, Kevin, I want to thank you guys both for being here. Coming up, Shake Shack CEO Randy Garuti, how a changed consumer is changing the burger wars. You'll see some exciting new plans for us to do our first ever drive through next year, which is not your uh, grandfather's drive through Squawk Pod, we'll be right back. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Today's anchors are Andrew Ross Sorkin, Becky Quick, and Wilfred Frost. Here's Andrew. The restaurant industry has been hard hit by the pandemic. Many establishments have closed. Millions have been laid off. And it's not all bad news, especially when it comes to fast food. Kate Rogers joins us to explain. Kate. Hey, Andrew. Good morning. The restaurant industry at large has been decimated by the pandemic. The National Restaurant Association projects 8 million people were either laid off or furloughed from March through May. But quick service and fast food companies are hiring in big waves as consumers lean into delivery and carry out and away from on-premise dining. This week, Papa John's made an announcement of hiring 10,000 workers. That's in addition to a previous hiring wave it made earlier in the pandemic, bringing their total hiring efforts to 30,000 since March. Chipotle earlier this month also announced it would be bringing on 10,000 workers to staff up its digital focus stores and Chipotle lanes, which require a bit more labor. Other hiring announcements we've seen. McDonald's hiring 260,000 this summer. Subway hiring 50,000 workers. Taco Bell 30,000 and Dunkin' franchisees bringing on 25,000. Domino's also hired 10,000 workers earlier in the season. The shift is underscored by a lack of willingness to dine on-premise. Our own CNBC and Change Research polling shows that 37% of likely voters nationwide say that they feel safe at this point in the outbreak dining in a restaurant. That is down from a high of 40% in mid-June. Back over to you. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, meantime, we're going to continue this conversation about the world of, uh, of food. Uh, Shake Shack posting a wider-than-expected quarterly loss, the pandemic forcing the burger chain temporarily close some locations and limit dine-in. But Shake Shack now has some plans to open drive through next year and make a big push into digital. Joining us now first on CNBC is Shake Shack CEO Randy Grudy. Good morning to you, Randy. Uh, walk us through how you're 
thinking about the past quarter and also how you're thinking about what the future looks like. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be with you here and uh, appreciate it. Look, nobody knows where COVID is headed, but, um, you know, we expect that the last quarter, we hope, was the low point. And we've seen consistent and gradual growth throughout. You know, one of the stories that we shared last night on earnings is about Shake Shack has been built as a community gathering place, born in New York City, right, among the most impacted places in our world right now, continues to be. And that's had probably an outsized impact on our company compared to some of the other traditional fast food, which we've never compared ourselves in that category. Uh, so when we look ahead, we say, hey, who do we want to be coming out of this? Who are we going to continue to pivot to and evolve? Our team's done such an extraordinary job. And it's accelerated a lot of the work we had planned. So you'll see some exciting new plans for us to do our first ever drive-through next year, which is not your uh, grandfather's drive-through. This is gonna be about harnessing that incredible Shake Shack experience born in a New York park, but adding convenience. Um, we're gonna do that in a drive-through. We're gonna do that in what we're calling Shack Track at a number of shacks, probably half our class next year, that will allow us to really capitalize on the digital growth that we've made this year. Uh, you know, it's been extraordinary. You, you're looking at all the tech earnings. You know, if you were a, a, a right. shareholder of only Shake Shack's digital growth, you'd, you'd be way up right now. We tripled our digital growth in the last year. And that's Randy, been an amazing pivot for us. Randy, one of the questions, and I hear this from a number of CEOs in your industry, there's going to be a lot of capital costs to, to expand into these and, and be able to shift the business, if you will, uh, over the next 12 months. We all hope, by the way, in 12 months from now that people are back in your restaurants. And so the question is how long you think that this, that, I mean, this is a health question to some degree as well, these trends continue um, and how long they persist and whether people are going to ultimately, and maybe this is the optimistic take, are going to have to revert back to where you were before. But then there's a question of how much do you want to spend in the interim? Well, I think it's I'm in the optimistic category. I'm not a believer in the notion that there's going to be a demise of the great cities of our world, especially in my home in New York. Uh, we're going to continue to gather again. No one knows when. Is it six months? Is it 12 months? We're not sure. But people are going to come back. People are going to come back and gather again. That's what Shake Shack has always been built on. When we talk about capital, that's why we raised $150 million earlier this year. We've got the strongest balance sheet we've ever had. We're going to invest that capital in creating experiences that greatly add that convenience factor. So no matter what we look like in the future, as we do gather again in the best shacks we've ever had, and as we look for more convenience in our life through our cars, through any way that we want to get our great food, Shake Shack's going to do that with the premium ingredients we've always done and the team and the hospitality and the way that we've always built it. So um, I think that's a smart use of capital. We're fortunate. We've always had some of the strongest returns on capital in our industry, and we expect that to continue as we grow in the future. Randy, I know preparing for the current environment and at-home delivery and drive-throughs, etc., most of the investment to pivot to that is on the tech side and the ways you're already talking about. But this might sound like a silly question, but it's a genuine one. Do you have to pivot in terms of the way you prepare the food as well? I think about fries in particular some can deliver so badly uh, and some can deliver very well do you have to prepare that differently if someone's going to eat in versus take out and is that quite a big cost whoever that's a great question thank you and uh look we're never going to sacrifice handmade to order shake shack shakes right we're going to cook your burgers to order as we always have 
and we have zero plans to change any of that. Uh, so we've got to we've got to keep winning on that. That's what Shake Shack has always won on is the quality of our ingredients, uh, and we're going to continue to do that. But what we can do now, you look at how our team pivoted just in a few weeks this quarter. We've added the first ever curbside pickup to 10 locations, and we expect to have 50 by the end of the quarter. So now you can roll up in your car. Tell us when you get there. We're cooking it fresh, and we'll bring it out to you. Contactless handoff and pay. And that's the way we've got to pivot while retaining everything about Shake Shack that separates us from uh, the traditional fast food. And that's how we got here. It's how we're going to get uh, continue to grow from from here. And we're excited about the new formats that will add to that opportunity. And, look, we're, our whole goal is to increase the addressable market that Shake Shack has had. Uh, and that's what we're doing with these new formats. Your, your food delivers well, I, I, I can attest to, by the way. Um, I also wanted to ask about food inflation. We've seen that pick up quite significantly over the last, uh, the last couple of months, particularly in, in, in areas like meats. Uh, as a sort of relatively premium-priced uh, restaurant brand within the fast food category, is that less of a problem for you than it is for your rivals, or, or does it mean you have to skimp on quality? Yeah, we would never skip on quality. You have to remember our beef uh, is no hormone, no antibiotic ever. That has that does not change, and that's only going to continue our commitment there. Uh, in the second quarter, and as you see this in our EPS impact, second quarter we had a tremendous impact of beef nearly doubled at moments in the second quarter from last year. It's back in line now, and most of our costs are generally back in line, so we don't expect a big impact. Um, but you never know. That was a momentary blip, um, but. If there's one thing you, you can always count on, it's going to be our commitment to that hormone antibiotic-free meat so that, you know, when you choose to eat a burger, it's a really good one. Randy, I uh, want to thank you. want to tell you the Sorkin family, we actually ordered from Gold Belly and actually cooked our own Shake Shack burgers. I don't know how big a business that is for you or you know what? it's going to become a bigger business. That's been fun. That was one of the first pivots we did, allowing you to do Shack at your Shack. Uh, and that's what community gathering is all about right now. If you can't get to the shack, we'll bring it to you. Uh, we'll cook it up on Gold Belly and some other ways. And uh, appreciate the Sorkin family getting in on that. My family's done that many times uh, during this time. I don't so, know um, if we. I don't know if we cooked them as well as you guys do. Randy, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thanks, everybody. That's the podcast for today and for another week and even another month. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. Share it with a friend. Comments, questions, stories to tell? You can find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.